And tonight we'll be in chapter number three. The last time we left off, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had thrown a big party. He invited everybody, and if you didn't come, you died, so you showed up. Uh, there were probably hundreds of thousands of people there that day. All of the governors, the administrators, the satraps, all the leaders. Uh, there were people from various nations, various tongues, and and uh, so it was just a big, big party. And one thing, only one thing you had to do to enjoy the party. Uh, once the herald uh, announced that the music was going to be played and the music was played and the choir sang, then you had to bow down and worship the golden image. And once you'd bowed down and worship the golden image, you could go back to the party. So it wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't seem like that big of a deal uh, to most people because all the hundreds of thousands of people that were there, they all bowed down before the golden image. All hundred thousand except for what? For three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they didn't bow down. And like I said last week, they had to stick out like a, a sore thumb because here they were administrators. They were high ups in the, in the Nebuchadnezzar government and the Babylonian government. And they refused to bow down at this image, which really represented Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. And so, uh, like I say, they stuck out like a sore thumb. And some of their compadres, who were, I think, jealous of them, saw that seized on the opportunity. And they said, you know, we can get these guys uh, uh, killed here and, and out of the way and we can take their position. So they went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, look, see those three guys you appointed to be. Uh, governors over us, and, and they won't even bow down to your statue. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and, and we pick it up in chapter number 3, verse 14. So Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, Nebuchadnezzar saw this disobedience not only as an affront to his pride, he saw it as a dangerous situation. Because why had he set the image up? Remember, he was the leader of a one-world government. And all of these various nations that he ruled had their own gods. And so he was trying to unite them under this one God. And if he could get everybody to bow down to this one God, however you saw the golden image, if you saw it as Nebuchadnezzar, or you saw it as Nebuchadnezzar's God, however you saw it, if you would bow down to it, that he would unite the nation under that God, one nation under God. Under the wrong God, but one nation under God. And that's what he was trying to do. And so they had refused to do that. And so he says, is it true? You know, I mean, after all, you know, I gave you these positions. I entrusted you uh, with a high-ranking position in my government, and uh, you've disobeyed. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar saw this as really a threat to his kingdom because what would the other vassal uh, states do if they thought, you know, we don't have to worship this God? And so he had to do something about it. And he had to do something about it quick. And I don't think he wanted to do anything because I think he really liked Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And he had had an encounter with their God, Yahweh. And he kind of liked their God. He's a pretty cool God. He can tell you what's in your mind, what you dreamed, and interpret the dream. That's a pretty cool God. And that's the way he saw it at this point. So in verse number 15, it says, 
Now, if you're ready at the time, now, if you're ready, now, if you're ready to do the right thing, in my eyes, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the harp, the flute, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony, and all the music of the choir and everybody else, and you fall down and worship the image. Now, he had to like them because he gives them a second chance. If he didn't like them, he wouldn't have given them a second chance. He would have seized on the opportunity and he would have thrown them into the fiery furnace. But he says, now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the psaltery, in sympathy with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image that I have made, good. But if you do not worship that image, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. He's trying to scare them into worshiping that golden image. I don't think he really cared if they really in their hearts worshiped the image. He just had to, he didn't want to be embarrassed. He had to do something about this situation. And so he says, who and who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Now, he knew who their God was. Their God was Yahweh. And he had seen Yahweh do great things. But he, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, he might can interpret my dreams. He might can tell me my dream. But there's no way if I throw these guys into the fairy furnace, he's going to be able to get. No God can do that. No God can get them out of there. If I cast them in there, they're going to die. So, yeah, your God's pretty special, but. But uh, if I throw you into that fire, there's no God that could you get, get you out of that fire. Now, look at what they do. Now, I, I just, it's just amazing the way they react to this situation. I mean, immediately, listen to what they said. Uh, that, look how they take the stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. And they, and they, they say that almost like a term of endearment. We, we like you. And there's... Not anything we wouldn't do for you, but what you're asking us to do now, to betray our God. That's the only thing we won't do for you. So, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We got nothing else to say. End of discussion. We're, you're not going to make us so afraid that we're going to bow down. Uh, you're, you're not going to talk us into bowing down. You're not going to reason with us and, and get us to bow down. Uh, we're not going to bow down to your, God, your, your image. If that is the case, and you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, verse number 17, our God whom we serve shall deliver us from that furnace. He is able to deliver us from the fire. And we believe he will, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. One way or the other, they knew that the king didn't have the ultimate power over them. Even if the king killed them, they would be delivered from the hand of the king. And so they, they, were, they, were, they were comfortable with taking that stand. And so, verse number 18, but if not, I mean, if he doesn't choose to deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image which you have set up. Man, you got to... I mean, we go back to the introduction. Remember what a ruthless tyrant Nebuchadnezzar was and what he did to people who, I told you about what he did to, to uh, uh, Jehoiakim. He took him and, 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 or was it Zedekiah? And one of the two kings that he killed, he put out their eyes. And, and before he put out their eyes, he killed all, their, all, of, their, all, of, the, all of his children and his wife's and uh, all of his friends right before his very eyes. So the very last thing that he saw 
was this murder of his friends, and he lived with that until, until he killed him. But uh, uh, so, man, they, they, they had to be brave. And they said, look, we serve Yahweh and no other God. It's almost like Job. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. No matter what situation he puts me in, I will trust him. I wish I could do that. I wish I could say that. Maybe you can. I can't. There are situations where I don't trust the Lord. But wow, how, how these guys had grown in their faith to a point that they really could say that from their heart. They're really some, some great men of God. But Nebuchadnezzar was ticked. Look at the next verse. He was full of anger or fury. And the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Before they took their stand, I think he had a compassionate face towards them, a face of, of pity. He pitied them. He didn't want to hurt them. He, he felt for them, but uh, he didn't want them to die. And, and, and all he wanted them to do, he, he didn't, I don't think he really cared if they worshiped the image in their hearts or not. All he wanted them to do was to be obedient to what he was trying to do in, in his mind in protecting his reign as, as king over Babylon. And I think he, at this point, he sees them as arrogant and stubborn little Jews. And he, uh, he is mad. And uh, so what does he do? What do madmen do? They do really stupid things. He did something pretty stupid. He spoke and commanded that the heat of the fire, of uh, the furnace, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So he's going to punish them worse. Now, I don't know if, I, actually, I think it was, if he wanted to punish them bad, the, the slower the fire, the slower the death. But he's so mad, he gets mad and figures the hotter it is, the, the worse it'll be. But actually, that would be the quicker they would die. That's exactly what happens to the people that are going to throw them into the furnace. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor, verse number 20, who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast him into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men, then these men were bound, they bound him in their coats, their trousers, I mean, lots of fodder for the fire, their turbans and their garments, and they were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, because it was based upon his anger and it was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you figured it would have killed them too. They would have all died instantly from the heat of that furnace. But uh, they didn't. And so uh, somehow they fall into the fiery furnace. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And you figured it was all over. For them. Nebuchadnezzar figured it was all over for him. And I don't know exactly what the scenery of this, uh, this execution looked like, but, but more than likely he was either in some viewing stands or up on a hill and he could look down into the furnace. And he looks down in the furnace and he expects to see three ash heaps. And that's not what he sees at all. And these, three, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell 
bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. In verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished at what he saw. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to all the counselors, all of his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered to, and said to the king, true, O king, no doubt we did. And so Nebuchadnezzar sees, hey, something going on here. Verse number 25, he says, look, he answered, I see not three ash heaps. I don't see just three men. I see four men loose from their bindings, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth, actually the literal translation would be, is like one of the sons of God. Or no, one of the, or like a son of the gods. That's a better, more accurate translation. I mean, you're dealing with a pagan here. He doesn't understand who Yahweh is. He doesn't understand who the angel of the Lord is. Most most Protestants don't understand who the angel of the Lord is. But we know who he is. We know who he saw glowing down there with walking with those three men. He, to him, it looked like an angel. To him, there was a, a supernatural being that was taking them through that fire. And he looked down and he saw it and he said, it's like, one of, it's like a son of the gods. This is, a, this is like an angel. And uh, so uh, uh, he's, he's astonished. You know, Isaiah had prophesied some 150 years earlier in chapter 43. He says, when you've walked through the fire, you will not be burned. I will be with you. Now, he was speaking of who when he prophesied that? More than, I mean, you could take that several ways. He's speaking of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's speaking of the nation of Israel uh, through, their, through their captivity. He was speaking of the nation of Israel through the great tribulation, I believe. But I think also he was speaking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I also think he was speaking, of, speaking to you and me. That though you go through the fire, whatever fire God puts you through, you will not be burned. That's the lesson here. That's the main lesson here. That sometimes God is going to allow us to go into the fiery furnace. Sometimes he's going to, he's going to put us through things that we just don't understand. But two things we can be sure of, maybe three. We can be sure that he's with us through the fire. We can be sure that we're not going to get burned. And we can be sure that we're going to come out of the fire better off than when we, better off than we were before we went into the fire. And so, hey, it's not a bad, I don't like going through the fire. You don't like going through the fire. But it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. But, you know, if their bodies, had, and you could have told the same story. If their bodies had gone up in smoke, it wouldn't have changed who Yahweh God is, and it wouldn't have changed how he felt about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because sometimes he doesn't deliver us from the fire. Sometimes we don't get through the fire. But they got through that. They got through it, and by the grace of God, God was right there with them. The angel of the Lord was with them. And the angel of the Lord is none other than Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get into a long discourse on that tonight. We've, we've done that as we've gone through other parts of the Old Testament, but, but we know who he is. We know it's none other than the Son of God but, uh, pre-incarnate before he was born in Bethlehem. How can he be pre-incarnate? Because when, when Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
don't live in time. They live in eternity. And so we can, in our finite minds, totally understand that. But I think maybe if you looked at his hands, if you could have looked at his hands and looked at his feet, you would have seen those scars there that happened hundreds and hundreds of years later. All right, then verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace. His anger's abated. He's not mad anymore. He's like amazed. And here are these guys that, that, uh, that were buddies with Daniel, and, and, and now he's seen another miracle from their God. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the, now look what he calls Jehovah, the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. And look who's there. Everybody sees this happen. Everybody sees this miracle. It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar who saw this miracle. The satraps and the administrators, the governors, the king councils, counselors all gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power over. The head of their hair was not even singed, nor were their garments affected. They didn't even smell like they had been in the fire. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had decided at that day to put on a really impressive show. But who got the last laugh? Who put on the impressive show? Yahweh put on the impressive show. I mean, I, I don't think the satraps and the administrators and, and all of these people, all these dignitaries that were there that day, I don't think they were impressed with that golden image much anymore. You know who they were impressed with at this point? Yahweh God. They were impressed maybe with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but more than anything else with that angel of the Lord that was in that fire with them. Their God, Yahweh God, they had to be impressed. And what they did with that, I don't know. What, probably the same thing Nebuchadnezzar did with it. So Nebuchadnezzar spoke, verse 28, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word you know do you see a difference between nebuchadnezzar and pharaoh big big difference nebuchadnezzar is getting a lot of light here and instead of hardening his heart against that light he's actually he's a reasonable man he realizes that there's, there's a great force behind this event that has just taken place. I mean, he realizes that, that uh, something wonderful is taking place here. So he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And, and, they, frustrated the, and they have frustrated my word and yielded their bodies. They, they believed in their God so much that they yielded their bodies that they should not worship any god except their own god. You know what Pharaoh would have done? He would have thrown them right back into the furnace again and again and again and again. He might have let it go for a few days, but a few days later he would have thrown them into the furnace and he would have hardened his heart against God and eventually God would have hardened his heart. But Nebuchadnezzar's heart is getting softer uh, and he's praising God at this point. Uh, then in verse 29, he says, therefore, I make a decree that any people. Now, look at what God's doing here. Here are all these Israelites in this Babylonian captivity. 
being persecuted. And now all of a sudden, the king sees their God as the most high God. And so he's basically saying, don't anybody get on anybody for worshiping this God anymore. So, so God is actually protecting the nation of Israel here. He says, therefore, I make a decree that my people, that any people, nation, or language who speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces. He sounds like uh, Clint Eastwood in The Unforgiven. He said, they shall be cut to pieces and their houses should be made an ash heap. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. I mean, if you talk bad about this God, we're going we're gonna to take you down. So Nebuchadnezzar at this point has seen the light, but has he come to the light? Has he come to the light at this point? No. And you know that because he says the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he has not yet made Yahweh God his God. Now in the next chapter... He's going he's gonna to get humbled. He hadn't humbled himself. Why, why hadn't he made Yahweh or Jehovah his God? Probably because he's the king. He's the golden head. He's the golden image. And what's he going to have to do in order to have a relationship with Jehovah God? He's going to have to abdicate the throne of his soul. And he's not ready to abdicate that position, at least for now. You know, there's a lesson there. There are a lot of people in this world, I, I, I can name, I, don't, I guess I'm not going to get into naming names of people I don't think are saved, but they will name the name of God. They will call themselves Christians. They will, they will talk about Yahweh or Jesus. They'll talk, they, they recognize Jesus as the Son of God. They recognize the existence of God. They believe that Jesus died on a cross but they've never repented of their sins and really made Jesus Christ their God. And there's a reason behind that. It's the same reason Nebuchadnezzar didn't make Jesus Christ his God. The same reason, because they don't want to abdicate the throne of their soul. They're sitting on it, and they're not going to give a piece of, piece of it up to anybody and until you're ready to do that uh, you can talk about the Lord you can talk about being a Christian you can pray to God you can do everything else in the world but until you're really ready to let the Lord take over the throne of your soul then you, you, you're not saved you're just like Nebuchadnezzar now that's great Nebuchadnezzar is a wise man and he's gonna I believe he gets saved and we'll look at that in the next chapter but he's not saved at this point then the king promoted Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They were already high-ranking high officials, but now they're even higher-ranking officials. So how did they come out of the fire? In a better position than they went in. And, and that's always the case with the Lord. Now, we can finish it up now. I think Is that the last verse? Yeah, that's the last verse. I said last week, or asked you the question last week, what kind of book would you, or what genre would you put the book of Daniel in as far as Old Testament books go? What genre is it? Prophecy. This is a prophetic book. It's profoundly prophetic. That's its primary purpose. And so 
I agree with those scholars who see chapter 3 not only as a great story lesson, but they also see it as a prophecy. As a prophecy of what? As a prophecy of the abomination of desolations that will take place in the Great Tribulation. You can read about it over in Matthew chapter 24 if you want to flip there for a minute. In Matthew chapter 24, uh, look, look at verse 15, I believe it's at, verse number 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the Daniel the prophet. Now, I don't think he's referring to this allegory that we have here in, in uh, chapter 3. He's actually referring to chapter 11 and 12 where where there's some more details given about the abomination of desolation. But this story is a type of that abomination of desolation. And he says, when you, when, he says, when you see that spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, reads this, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And that's what they're going to do during the great tribulation. Now, is he speaking to the church there? First thing I want you to see, is he speaking of the church? No, he's not speaking of the church. And a lot of people try to say that's the church going through the great tribulation. It is not. And if you look down at verse number 24, just in context, or 21 rather, he says, then there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world, since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. The, it's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's the picture that we're getting right here in chapter 3 of Daniel. After the church, and you got to tie this into the rapture, after the church is removed from this earth, the Antichrist will come on the scene. And, and uh, he can't come on the scene until that which is holding him back is removed. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit in the church, the real church. And so uh, after the rapture, the Antichrist will come on the scene and he will make a seven-year agreement with the nation of Israel, a peace agreement. And then in the middle of those seven years, he will break that peace agreement and... Well, he, actually, the way it is broken is he makes an image of himself. You can read about this in Revelation 13, January 11 and 12. He will make an image of himself and demand that everyone in the world worship that image. Who's not going to worship that image? The pious Jews. They're not going to worship that image. I'm not going to worship that image, but I ain't even going to know that image exists because I'm going to be in heaven. Now, if you don't believe in the rapture and you believe you're going to be in growth through the great tribulation, God bless you. But I used to think that myself. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The great tribulation is judgment on this earth. We will not be judged. Who took our judgment? Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we will not be judged. There's no condemnation for us. And so we're going to be out of here. But they're going to go through the fire of the great tribulation. 
But who's going to be with them? God's going to be with them. And they're going to, they're going to make it out of the great tribulation. And all of, how much of Israel will be saved, Paul says? All of Israel will be saved. Now, one of the reasons I believe in the rapture not only what you get in 1 Thessalonians, not only in context of, of what I just said earlier, that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that, that we will not be judged, The judgment's coming on a lost and dying world, and there certainly will be pe- people saved during that time. I'm not going to get into all of that. But for the church that's here, when that, all of that begins, there will be no judgment. And, I, that's, I, and, and, and if we're here, then we're going to have to go through that judgment. But there are types in the Bible that clearly point to the fact that we'll be out of here, we'll be removed before the judgment comes. Enoch is a type. Enoch walked with God and he was no more because of what? Because God took him. Noah is a type. Where was Noah when the world was being judged? He was above the judgment. He was taken above the judgment in, and you can't get a clearer picture than this now. He was taken above the judgment, and what was he in? The ark. Who is our ark? Who was he with? He was with the ark. Who are we going to be with? We're going to be with our ark, none other than Jesus Christ. And then you take Lot. I mean, Lot of all characters. If anybody deserved judgment, a man who called himself a man of God, but yet deserved judgment, it would have been Lot. But what did God do before the judgment came down on Sodom and Gomorrah? He took Lot and took him above the judgment. The picture of the rapture. Now, people who believe you go through the great tribulation and you you make those points to them, you know where they'll take you? They'll take you to Daniel chapter 3. And they'll say, look at that type. That's the type of the church going through the fire, and, and that proves that the church is going to go through the fire. Whenever they tell me that, you know what I ask them? Where's Daniel? Where's Daniel? We talked a little bit about this last week. Where is Daniel? Well, one of three things had to happen. Daniel had to bow down to the image so he didn't get thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, we know better than that. Daniel wasn't going to bow down to that image. The other thing was that Daniel was so powerful that he didn't bow down, but nobody would tattle on him. Well, Nebuchadnezzar would have never allowed that to happen. He was, he was one of the most powerful men in his government, and that would, that would, that would smell of rebellion, so he was not going to allow that to happen. Where was he? Well, I have no doubt by the providence of God, he was taken away to a far place on the king's business, far, far away. And God made sure that he wasn't there when all of this happened. And that's exactly what's going to happen to you and I when the Jews, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go through the fire and God's protecting them. Those are his people and they're going to come out of that fire better than ever before. That's the picture. But we're going to be like Daniel. We're going to be on the king's business. Far, far, far away. I'll tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, you want to go through the Great Tribulation, I still fellowship with you in, 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 because it, I fellowship with people that are wrong all the time. 
But if you want to do that, believe that, you can believe that. I, 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 those kind of things bother me, though, because I wonder what you believe about grace. I wonder what you believe about Jesus Christ. And, and I wonder how you, you know, you're living your life now. Man, I live my life by grace now. When I go through the fires now, I trust the Lord to lift me above those fires. And I trust the Lord when I die to lift me above all of this. And I certainly trust him when the great tribulation of his judgment comes upon this earth. That like Daniel, I'm going to be far, far away doing the king's business. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for these great lessons here that you give us uh, in your word. And what a clear picture we have of just, just how much you love your church. Lord, that, and how much you love your Jewish people. Lord, there's two pictures here. Lord, just, we just thank you for, for your mercy and your grace and, and just the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and just all that means to us. We just thank you for the hope we have in him, the future we have in him, and just all you're doing in our lives. And Lord, that we can trust you through any fire we go through and we know that we'll come out better than before. We just thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.